Welcome to There She Rose podcast. This is your host, Jamie C., and I am the owner and founder of Rising Wolf. Rising Wolf offers soulful guidance for mompreneurs who are ready to go deep and take action in their business. Claim your greatest work by clearing out the thoughts that no longer serve you so you can create a life of freedom, joy, and expansion. Shift away from feelings of inadequacy and doubt and be equipped with the tools that empower you to rise. Hello, my love, and welcome to There She Rose podcast. This is your host, Jamie C. And today is a super, super exciting episode. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, you will know now, um, I've been in the process of writing my first book. And I'm actually going to share uh, the first chapter with you today. And I'm so excited to be able to let you in on this process. I was going to wait a little while longer since I'm still in the writing process, but I wanted to just bring you guys along with me on this journey because this is new for me too. And I wanted to ensure that, you know, you had a little bit of the the inside details of um, of everything. So let me give you a little understanding of what this is all about. Uh, so this book is how to become the author of your life and essentially what Rising Wolf is for mompreneurs. Um, and this is a little bit of my story and a little bit of the intro of the rest of the book. So I wanted to bring you along. So one, two, three, four, here we go. All right. This is chapter one. I'm, I'm actually have like a little bit of butterflies in my stomach right now, but I'm okay with it. All right. It all started with a bracelet. I was 22 years old when I received this bracelet as a birthday present. It had a thin brown leather strap connected to a silver circle with a message stamped in metal. Be the change you wish to see in the world. A year later, I sat in the ICU with my head on my brother's heart as we let him off of life support. The sound of the beeping machines, tears, and heavy sobbing from my family echoed throughout the room while I remained entirely numb. I watched him lie there, my big, strong brother, my best friend who was now with the angels. As each family member walked out of the room, I sat there, reluctant to leave him just yet. I glanced over to my patient fiancé, who remained quiet by the door with his hands clasped. He nodded to me as if to say, Take as much time as you need. I sat there with my brother and I untied my bracelet from my wrist and tied it to his. With my hand on his, I promised I would take care of my family. This event dramatically changed my life. But most importantly, and unbeknownst to me at the time, it would change the way my brain would function. It changed how I would make decisions and all of my actions thereafter. After my brother's service, I watched his children stand there holding their mother's hand, crying because they would never see their father again. I watched my father cry because he would never see his son again, and I stood there, emotionless, not one fucking tear. I still didn't cry the next day, or the day after, or even the day after that. So what do you do when you feel nothing? You go back to what you know, whatever your normal is. And for me, that was work. I was a hairstylist at the time, and I went full force back into all the time that I could prevent any emotions from surfacing to stay numb, it was necessary for me to also rely heavily on drinking too much wine at night. Grief plus work plus excessive drinking was the way I handled it. Months and months passed and I felt nothing. So I thought, 
I must have successfully avoided the feelings of trauma and grief. But boy, I was wrong. So, so wrong. Let's talk scientifically about what had happened to me during that time. My subconscious mind, which I'll tell you very I'll tell you more about very soon, went straight to work when Scotty died and protected me immediately. It suppressed the horrifying things I witnessed and tucked them away within the depths of my mind. The result? Numbness. The funny, not so funny thing is, is that's where my healing lived. That's where my success lived. And that's for sure where my fear lived. All of this was stored in my subconscious mind and I avoided it for way too long. Looking back to where I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, houses in my neighborhood were similar to a raised ranch and built really close to one another. And the streets were quite busy. And I remember having so much fun playing outside in the backyard with my dad, tossing a softball while cars whizzed by. And in elementary school, I remember having a birthday party where my parents hired this guy to be Barney, the purple dinosaur. And I recall feeling absolutely mortified. All the children were thrilled at getting the chance to meet and hug Barney, all while I was horribly embarrassed thinking, I'm not a damn baby anymore. I realized how extraordinary my parents were and how they went out of their way to make me feel so special. Every year, we would have these big, beautiful birthday parties where we would have music and food and games and, of course, the man-made slip and slides. We would anchor down huge tarps and dump a bottle of shampoo and my dad would man the hose while we catapulted down like wet seals. During summer, my dad was known for always hosting these amazing family parties with these volleyball nets set up and the Steve Miller band blasting through the radio and of course a ton of jello shots. I realize now my, my parents played a huge role in shaping my beliefs. My mom was in the clothing industry and worked as a retail manager. My dad, on the other hand, worked in the machinery industry and worked really freaking long hours. I learned my work ethic from both of them as they always put an extra effort and showed up on time and really cared for their job and set goals that they wanted to achieve. Even though my dad worked much longer hours than my mom, no matter what, he always came home through at night through that heavy sliding door with a smile and was ready to love us to pieces. I vividly remember my mom wanting my sister and I to have the best shoes and outfits so we would feel like we would fit in. My mom is seriously amazing and truly wanted the best to us for us still to this day. Even with all of that effort, I started feeling completely lost by the time I hit 15. I fell in love with the idea of becoming a drummer, maybe because my big brother was a kick-ass drummer, or maybe because the boy I had a crush on in middle school was a drummer in the school band, or maybe because my family played in a band in the basement when I was a kid. Nevertheless, I had a huge draw to be in the school band and learned how to play music. I gathered up the courage to ask my mom and was shut down at lightning speed. Nerds play drums in the school band, and you are not a nerd. At that moment, a new belief was in infancy, ready to bury its way into my subconscious mind. I contorted this construct that to be accepted, I had to be someone that my parents wanted me to be. More and more events would happen that would push me further from being the authentic artist I craved to be. I became someone I didn't even recognize and continuous masking of my spirit would turn destructive. I developed an eating disorder by the time I was 16, which would sadly destroy my self-worth, self-image, and ability to think clearly. To cope with the years of suppressed emotions, I was rebelling and being resistant, which resulted in depression, a smaller, unhealthy body, and daily panic attacks. 
My parents also believed that the best way to accomplish a successful career was to go to college, get good grades, and land a kick-ass high-paying job. Maybe this was because they never went to college and they simply wanted their kids to have more opportunities than they did. My poor parents, I gave them a run for their money. I hated school, got pretty awful grades, and spent the majority of my high school career like a drunken idiot. And on top of that, I told them I wanted to become a hairstylist. My parents' perception of becoming a hairstylist was, that's not what smart women do. Spoiler alert, I ended up landing a kick-ass, high-paying job as a hairstylist. I was always really drawn to being a creative person, so the idea of college made me sick to my stomach. The concept of sitting in a classroom all day was soul-sucking, when in reality, all I wanted to do was paint and create and learn to play music. At times, I didn't even want to get out of bed because my eating doors, my, because of my eating disorder and depression. I'd have thoughts about how my pants fit, end up crying in the mirror for hours, and not want anyone to see me for weeks on end. Looking back, I feel so sad for that version of myself. She had no concept of why she felt the way that she did. She just felt sad, lost, and unlovable. That's the thing about the formation of beliefs. They start small, build a home in your mind, and over time it becomes who you believe you are. I now had developed the firm belief and understanding that who I authentically crave to be, the artist, the musician, the girl with the piercings and tattoos, was in fact unlovable. I grew up believing this until I learned how mindsets work and how to tap into my highest self. And bam, everything changed. I now stand proudly as that artist with the tattoos and piercings, lovable as fuck. A growth mindset is about rewiring your past and relearning an understanding of your situation or incident. And to this day, I have taken I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I lost my spot. Okay, I found it. <laughs> uh, and to this day, I have taken many events of my life and their outcomes and picked out the positive aspects, what I learned and its impression on my life. I've learned to rebuild my self-worth, self-compassion, optimism, and hell, and even healed my eating disorder. As I started to learn more about the spirit and mindsets, I could feel the difference in my life. I realized that talent and intelligence are traits that can be accentuated with intention and commitment, which means that you can take a perceived problem and instead view it as a challenge, something that is achievable versus impossible. Living up to expectations is a fear that has been instilled in most children, which in return reflects their deciding power and how they live the rest of their lives. With the right effort, a person can conquer the world and soak in information by approaching a problem with enthusiasm to fight the difficulties instead of being fearful of them. What is a smart woman, really? I believe a smart woman is someone who listens to her spirit, follows her passion, and unlearns all the shit she believed to be true about her potential. She may fall, but she stays determined and comes back up with a lesson she has learned from that experience. By accentuating her strengths, she shows the world that she has more to offer than what might be expected of her. By remaining in alignment versus hustle, a woman can be anything that she damn well pleases, all while finding blissful balance. There isn't a thing, anything a woman can't do if she encourages herself, heals her pain, and remembers that she was made whole, always made whole. Here's a fun fact. 
When you are young, your mindset is being formed as you grow from the ages of zero to seven. You are a sponge taking in everything you are told is truth. You have no conscious awareness to say to someone, hey, wait one freaking second. That story sounds made up. You accept everything is truth. Believe it, store it, all as data in your robot brain. You are being taught the concept of love, happiness, money, success, and worthiness through your life experiences that now create the person you show up as today. And to access the highest and most magnetic version of yourself, I'm going to teach you how to reframe your perceived failures by imagining your letdown in a positive light. Think of one now and write it down. What did this teach me? What did I learn from this setback? And how did it allow me to think differently? Highlight your setbacks and understand them with a refined approach. When you can view it as an opportunity to reapproach, you can find it easier to drench yourself in some delicious self-compassion, an essential ingredient to your self-growth. I wrote this note to myself when I was 14. I was confident, joyful, and was absolutely sure of how my life would turn out. Then by age 16, I was a vastly different human. I wasn't the confident person who could own the room as soon as she walked into it. I didn't know how to take action even when it was crucial for me to do so. I felt no longer radiated. I felt I no longer radiated the energy that would hold attention for too long or had an aura that was emitted by a charismatic personality, even though my mom would say otherwise. By the time I left cosmetology school at age 19, I knew I had the potential to achieve more, but always felt limited by making by the idea of making more income. Honestly, I had a really shit relationship with receiving money, very little self-worth. <clears throat> and by and years after years of allowing myself to not receive what I deserved, I came to the concrete conclusion that I would be this way forever. See, that's the thing. When you aren't aware of mindsets, manifestation, or soul work, you feel stuck in your perceived final form with no way to escape. I always thought that my life was going to be bare minimum until I actually made a new choice. And that choice was being broke sucks, like really, really sucks. And I didn't want to live that way anymore. Actually, the real reason I decided I didn't want to be broke anymore was that I became a mother. The moment I met that absolutely amazing human that I created, I thought, fuck this. I need to provide more for her. She deserves that. My family deserves that. At this point, I decided to buck up, put my big girl pants on, and learn how to change my beliefs, my paradigms, identity, and concentrated on how to take action. I learned to expand my mind, body, and soul. I managed to do it all with $4 to my name, a newborn baby, a hot husband, and a good dose of debilitating postpartum depression. Little did I know, a millionaire was in the making, a really happy and fulfilled one, might I add. Six months after my brother Scotty departed, I married my best friend, Nicholas. I was working full-time as a hairstylist, and Nick was working for his father as an electrician. Hair was something I loved ever since I was 13, so to be able to, be, to, be able to do that full-time was pretty incredible. For eight years, I stayed at the same salon, barely making ends meet, working long hours, but still not being able to afford much. I eventually went to sell my belongings to pay for groceries. I sold my car and downloaded my cell phone or downgraded my cell phone all while my husband was working a second job as a janitor at our local Catholic school. We declined family vacations, refused to look at our barely there bank account. And one thing we were always able to attend to was our evening panic attacks. 
It wasn't until 2013 when our beautiful Charlotte Scott was born, everything changed. The moment I laid eyes on her, something in my heart shifted and I knew as her mama, I needed to make a better life for her. I didn't care what it took. I refused to struggle, to cry about bills and to not be able to offer her the life experiences that she deeply deserved. At that moment, success was the only option. Five months later, I mustered up the courage to leave my safe salon job and go into business for myself. I had put in my two weeks and was banking on my last paycheck to cover the cost of my first month's rent at my new salon I was going to be working at. My former salon owner called me that day on my day off and told me never to come back and that all my belongings would be mailed to me. Eight years of relationships gone in an instant and without warning. And that last paycheck, that was gone too. My heart sank and then it was initial feeling of, oh my God, what the fuck did I just do to my family? I had nothing to my name, not a single penny. So I was hyperventilating and wiping the snot from my face when I gathered the courage to call my father, dad, I have nothing. I actually assumed that he would yell at me and tell me I shouldn't have left my job and that and should have known that this is what happens when you put your family at risk. But what we actually said next was the best thing I'd ever heard. Jay Birdie, you're healthy and that's all that matters. I'll give you just enough to pay your rent and then you pay me back as soon as you get back on your feet. I felt humiliated to take money from him, but in the same breath, I was so relieved and even more motivated to make shit happen so I could pay back every single penny as soon as possible. As for my husband, he should win a damn award. He has always believed in me and trusted my choices, which I thought was admirable since he was struggling just as much with anxiety, working two jobs and helping raise a baby. Little did I know that success was on the horizon and would allow him to come up for air in ways would we, we would have never imagined. My dad gave me enough just to pay my first month's rent and I was left with $4 in my name. $4. But most importantly, I was left with the mindset that failure was not an option and it was the exact moment that I unknowingly activated the law of the universe. Let's fast forward seven years later. I opened two successful million-dollar companies, a very lucrative coaching business, and didn't take me long to understand how it all happened. It wasn't that I was just one of the lucky ones. I profoundly believed in the inevitability of my success, helping people, chasing joy, and taking messy yet inspired action. The subconscious mind is a powerful and mysterious as it holds the vastness of our mind's inner workings. If you know what is in your brain and going on in there, it gets so much easier to be mindful of what could be standing in your way. In the, the subconscious mind, or as I call it, the robot brain, is the head honcho of your life. It shows up every day to run the show to ensure that you think the same, act the same, and make, <laughs> and make things scary as hell if you want to do something new in your life or your business. Before I make the robot brain to sound like the bad guy here, I'd like to share with you its real main goal. The head honcho only wants to keep you safe and alive. Here is the amazing news. You can actually change and rewire that robot brain. It's called neuroplasticity, and it's the ability of the brain to adapt to changes in an in, in individual's environment by forming new neural connections over time. So simply put, you have the you, uh, you have the opportunity right now 
to have your mind become your built-in bestie and hype girl instead of that nagging negative enemy that rents a very expensive room in your head. To fully achieve and harness the potential of making this part of your mind and best friend you want for life, you want to do something that sounds fairly simple. Become wildly aware. You will choose to look within and make the decision that a limited mindset or fixed mindset is no longer serving a purpose and that you have the power to change the way you think and in turn change the way you show up in the world. You are not stuck. I repeat, you are not stuck. You may feel that way right now, but stick around with me and I'll show you how it's possible. And I pinky promise it's worth it. At this point, you might be thinking, how? But here's the truth. Changing the way your mind function takes intention and softness. You must start with giving yourself permission to dig deeper and study each of the significant events that have happened in your life. Observe the way of being and how you process and react certain situations. Your hidden beliefs, which depict and give direction to your future actions, need to be identified. Fears often become true as your unconscious mind usually starts propelling the negative soft talk into real life outcomes. Thus, awareness is your first step. Become wildly aware. That's my challenge to you in this book. Put away your fear, your self-doubt, your ideas of what you can or can't be or be or do. Pause and observe and become aware of your story. I've shared with you mine. And now it's time to take a look at yours. Let's do the damn thing. Whew. That's the end of chapter one. That was a doozy. Thank you so much for, um, I literally was trying not to cry that whole time. Um, and I really appreciate you <laughs> sticking along and reading that or listening to it as I read it to you. Um, Thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable and share that story and chapter one as I continue to write and develop the rest of this book. And uh, I hope that that first chapter allowed for you to feel a sense of love and understanding, belong, uh, a sense of belongingness. I don't know if that's the right word that I want to use, but I love you and I hope it helped. It's essentially what I'm trying to say. Um I'm going to pop down below in the show notes some more resources for you. Join our community. We have a lot of things changing in October. Big things are coming and happening, and I cannot wait for you to be a part of it. So stick along for the ride, my love. Let's do the damn thing together, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now. 